Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin. I am one of the members of staff here. And as we step into the second week of our series, The Verse That Changed Everything, um, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker. So back in February of 2020, we received a resume from a, a young man who was about ready to graduate from Missouri Baptist. And the objective on the resume said to reflect Christ and to lead others toward Christ. That was the objective for the job. And, and it also told us on the resume that he was a trumpet player and a barista. Um, neither skill I think we're gonna see demonstrated this morning. Um, but because we're a church that believes that leadership is learned and because we wanna be a place where young men and women who are called into ministry can come and grow, um, we invited Barrett to join our staff and that was on February 20th, 2020. And we hired him specifically to lead and coordinate the big community events that we do from time to time. Um, and, and just to demonstrate a little bit, more than two weeks from then, we had Ren Collective in the, in the building. How many of you were at the Ren Collective concert? Yep, it was great, it was great. Um, and then two weeks and two days after we hired him, the world shut down. And in the almost three years that Barrett was on staff here, we did that many big events. But if you've been around, you know that he became a part of the staff and he preached for us and he grew in leadership. And at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, God called him to Georgia uh, to be a youth pastor, a student ministries pastor at a church there. And we celebrate what God's doing in developing our, a pastor in Barrett. And so it's my pleasure to welcome Barrett Moore back to First Free to bring God's word today. All right. Hello, First Free. It's good to be back. I've had a, a great week catching up with friends and family. Uh, I think every single meal this entire week has been packed out with somebody. So it's been it's been awesome to be back. Uh, walked in the building today, and I'm like, no, you don't have to tell me where to go. I got it. Um, so it's been, it's been good to be back. Uh, so as Kevin said, in 2020, I started here as the executive assistant for our lead pastor, Adam. And uh, at the beginning of this year, I went down to Georgia. I am now the student ministry pastor at uh, Lake Oconee Church in Greensboro, Georgia. It's been incredible. It's been an amazing, uh, amazing time. My time here was amazing. I met the love of my life while at this church. I made some lifelong friends while at this church. And uh, I eventually found uh, a love for student ministry at this church. And that's on y'all, because then I got a call to go some, somewhere else. And so now we're, uh, we're doing great things in Georgia. And I want to say thank you to all of you who have been praying for Alexis and I uh, in our time in Georgia. And uh, I hope we continue praying for Adam as he is on his sabbatical over the next few weeks which brings us to the second week of our current series, The Verse That Changed Everything. 
And so I spent a lot of time thinking and praying on, you know what, God, what would you have me, uh, what would you have me to teach? And so I'd find a passage, I'd start studying, begin writing a sermon, and then just feel called back to this one verse. And so I'd go somewhere else, I'd grab a different passage, start writing, uh, did that a handful of times and just kept getting called back to this, to this one verse. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get away from today's verse. And uh, my pride told me, you know, I should pick something more original. I should pick something I can show my chops off a little bit more with. Um, oh, I actually do have my trumpet in the back, by the way. I can grab that later if you want. But uh, yeah, something that, you know, would maybe show off a little bit more. And I, and I study it, and I just kept coming back to this one verse. And so my wife can attest, one day, I decided I'm gonna go out and I just sit in the middle of our driveway, probably look like a crazy person. I just sit down in the middle of our driveway and I just pray like, God, what would you have me to teach? And he brings me to this one verse. This is the verse that in my life for certain, maybe in your life, uh, really changed everything. I mean, in some sense, this is the verse, John three sixteen, And... Now, some of you, that might mean nothing. That might just be another verse. But for some of us, we're now fighting the urge to check out a little bit. Uh, we've heard this sermon a thousand times, and so I'm asking you today, as if you've never heard it before, let's listen in to John 3.16, especially for those who have heard it before. If you've heard it five times, 10 times, 10 hundred times, 10,000 times. Today, lean in. I remember being six years old sitting in Sunday school at a little church in Atlanta when I first heard this verse. And to this day, I could tell you the seat at the table I was sitting at. When I heard this verse for the first time and I remember thinking, oh wow, I, I get it. God, the God that's up there that everyone keeps telling me loves me, the God that everyone keeps saying made everything, he actually loves me. Like, he really loves me. And the words we're about to read, they were written about 2,000 years ago by Jesus' closest disciple, John. John was one of Jesus' top three. He ends up going to the garden with Jesus before he's betrayed. He's on the inner circle. And someone asked me this week, how does John know all the stuff that he writes about? Like, how does he know exactly what happened? And what's so special about John is that John was an eyewitness. John was there. John's writing what happened because John saw what happened and felt compelled to share it. I don't know if he knew it was gonna get all the way to you and me, but he wrote because he saw it. Second to only Jesus himself, John has more to say about truth than anyone else in the Bible. It's because John was convinced he not only knew the truth, John felt that he had met the truth. And so, there I was, sitting on my driveway, praying, and as if I were six years old again, I read these words that John wrote down for us. If you're comfortable with it, uh, if you've heard the verse before, I'd love to read this out loud together. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Awesome. Some of you maybe have heard it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Or to the NLT, 
For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For our purposes today, however, we're gonna stick with that first version. And today we're just gonna hop straight into it. We've got a lot to get into. Uh, As Adam said himself, this series is kind of like, he's telling every speaker that you get over the next few weeks, pick the one verse, the one sermon you've always wanted to teach. So no pressure, thanks for that, Adam. But today, we've got a lot to get into. I'm so, so excited. But before we get into it, I'd like to take a minute here and let's just pray. Dear Lord, thank you so, so much for who you are, for what you've done, that we get to be here today and uh, draw near to you to learn more about you, to learn more about your character and who you are, God. I'd also like to pray for my church back home. Uh, I know services are wrapping up right now, and I pray that uh, those there would also have come to know you more today and to love you deeper. Uh, We pray that today you would give us eyes and uh, ears to see and hear, God, um, that this scripture, uh, that it would would pierce our hearts, God, that we would hear it new for the first time or for the first time. Dear Lord, thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So before we get into the verse that changed everything, let's get into the verses before the verse. We're gonna open starting in John 3. The renowned pastor Charles Spurgeon, some of you have heard of him, actually had this to say about John chapter 3. I think it's beautiful. If we were asked to read to a dying man who did not know the gospel, we should probably select this chapter as the most suitable one for such an occasion. This is the best part. And what is good for dying men is good for us all, for that is what we are. John 3 verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. It's important to understand that for all the times we hear about Pharisees in the Bible, we should look at this time with Nicodemus with compassion. Look at Nicodemus as someone who's humbling himself and he's coming to Jesus with a genuine question. So often, I think we hear the word Pharisee and you're immediately like, all right, get ready for them to make themselves look silly. But Nicodemus is just actually approaching with a genuine question. It's also interesting that he came at night. And now there's no way to know this for certain, this is speculation. But I always wonder if he came at night because he knows what the other Pharisees would think. It's like he's coming to Jesus and and he's saying, The Pharisees have told me who you are. The Pharisees told me what I'm supposed to think about you, but I'm seeing something different. And so he sneaks off into the night and essentially asks Jesus, who are you? He says that we know that you're a teacher. And the most important part, who has come from God? Jesus had just come from doing signs in Jerusalem, and we don't know if Nicodemus had seen those signs himself or if word was just getting around, but in this moment, in the dead of night, Nicodemus, with that one we, is seemingly joining himself with the believers rather than the Pharisees. It's like Nicodemus is saying, I see you for who you are, 
and I want to know more. How does Jesus respond? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So that brings us to our first point today. We're just gonna go through John 3.16, break it down into its three most important parts. The first part, for God so loved. And now let's not gloss over that. This was revolutionary. And this is revolutionary. God loves. This was by no means the standard. Remember the world that these words were spoken into. You had men beaten and whipped and put on a cross on the side of the road. You had women stoned to death in the public square. The Roman gods ruled. Those gods were seen as vindictive and merciless and cunning and selfish. Those gods didn't care about their people. They deserved payment. They deserved retribution. When life was going poorly, it meant that someone up top was mad at you, and it is your job to fix it. It is on you to get right with them, and if things are going wrong, that's your fault. Favor was earned, you prayed for indifference, and anger was expected. But Jesus, two most beautiful words I can imagine, but Jesus, Jesus not only said that God loves, Jesus showed us that God loves. Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. By Jesus saying, no one can see the kingdom, it infers that men, like the, the Pharisee Nicodemus, believed that someone could get in without it. And in that single sentence, in that one single sentence, you see the very first hint that Jesus is opening this whole thing up. Jesus gives Nicodemus the Pharisee the first glimmer that this gospel is not just for the people Nicodemus thought it was. This gospel is not just for the Jews. This gospel is going to be for the whole world. So God not only loves, but God so loved the world. God so loved the world. You imagine Nicodemus kind of leaning in closer at this point, like, did I catch that right? Because Jesus doesn't say that the Jews won't see the kingdom unless they're born again. That would have made sense. He doesn't say the Gentiles won't see the kingdom unless they're born again. Even that would have made less sense, but sense none the same. It would have made perfect sense, but Jesus says no one can see the kingdom. And for Nicodemus, that was a big deal. Because as a Pharisee, he knows better than anyone that the Jews will have a place in heaven because they are Jewish. They're saved by their first birth. They're the chosen people. The Messiah was coming to them. They were going to have a king, and that king was going to rule forever. But Jesus is saying no one can enter the kingdom, not even the Jews, unless they are born again. But now the flip side of this, the beautiful hope that we receive and that Nicodemus receives is that there's now a way out. Out of God's love for the world, we can be born again. 
And this doesn't change worldviews. This changed the world's view. It completely changed the world's view of what God was like, what their gods were like, and maybe most importantly, what God thought we were like. The statement that God so loved the world is just as revolutionary today as it was to them. Do not let that fall on deaf ears. I recently heard a pastor put it like this. When we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. Jesus came to show us what God is like because our God, Jesus Christ, is the one who approaches the outcasts and heals the lepers. Our God is the one who sits with the prostitutes and shows compassion to the adulterers. Our God is the one who heals the blind and healed the blind and the deaf and the sick. Our God is the one who lifts up the broken and the hurting. So if your picture of God is that he is disappointed in you or angry with you or distant from you, the feeling that you are too broken or too far gone, that you can never be good enough, that, that you will never stop him from being angry with you, that the feeling they have to do more or become more or be more, that is not our God. And it makes me furious to think that anyone in the name of God has stood on a stage and told anyone for any reason that they are not welcome here or that their friends or that someone they care about is not welcome here. You are welcome at the table. You have a seat here because someone paid for it. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, some of you need to hear it like I need to hear it. God loves you. God really, really, truly loves you. Not the kind of love your parents showed you. Not the kind of love a spouse or significant other shows you or has shown you or hasn't shown you. Not the love of your best friend. God, the creator of the universe, loves you. And now this might be goofy, but I wanna try something for a second. Everyone, let's be quiet and just close your eyes. I want you to take a deep breath in and then let it out. Pay attention to your heart beating inside of you. You are here and you are breathing and you are alive because God loved you enough to put you here. Someone in here needs to hear these words. Really hear it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You can open your eyes. So for our second point today, who is his son and why does that matter? Well, lucky for us, John actually had something to say about that as well. John 1.1, if I hadn't picked John 3.16, I would have picked this one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus wasn't just another prophet or a wise teacher. He wasn't just another holy man on the pile 
for you to pick from to tell you how to live a good life or how to make the gods happy or a list of rules saying, do this, don't do this, climb your way up to the mountain to get to God. The man, the physical, historical man, just as real as you or I, he wasn't even simply just from God. That man, as real as any of us in this room, was God. Nicodemus saw it, and John saw it. From the mouth of John, Jesus' closest friend, from the one who saw him with his own eyes and touched him with his own hands, from the one who wrote of his life because he witnessed that life. Verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, just like he said to Nicodemus, children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. He gave us the right to be born again. He came to the world that he created, knowing that it would reject him, yet still gave himself up for all. This is the gospel. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved that. God so loved that he took action. He loved so much that he gave himself up for each and every one of us, that he made a way for all of us back to him. We do not serve a God on top of the mountain. We serve the one who came down. Because we're loved by the God who came down. That while we were still sinners, he gave himself up for us. And so here's the truth. We aren't good enough. All sin hurts our relationship with others or our relationship with God. You are a sinner. And I am a sinner. You have lied and stolen and cheated. You are greedy and selfish and you have hurt those who you love and those who God loves. But that is not the end because that is not the gospel. Because even while you were a sinner, even while you are a sinner, before you cleaned yourself up, or if you haven't cleaned yourself up, God so loved the world that he gave himself up for you. You wanna know why Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again? Well, it's because being born isn't on you. If he had told Nicodemus you have to get yourself washed up and clean before you can be born again, that would have made perfect sense. Nicodemus would have been like, okay, I can do that. That's not what Jesus says because it's not about earning your way up. It's not about doing enough. And praise God, it isn't because I don't wanna live a life where I'm terrified of if I'm doing enough, if God is angry at me or if God is disappointed at me that I'm never gonna make him happy. I don't want that life. 
And praise God, I don't have it. Because God so loved. It's not about earning our way anymore. I don't have to do good enough because I can't do good enough. And God doesn't expect us to. You aren't perfect. And I'm not perfect. And God doesn't ask us to be. It's about Jesus. God so loved that he gave himself that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's the most important part. If you miss that, you miss the whole thing. God loved, so God gave, so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. Dr. Bill Mounts puts it this way. This is the guy who literally wrote the book on biblical Greek. Like this was literally my textbook on Greek in college. Contextually, John is asserting a relatively unusual notion that God not only loves those who follow him, but he actually loves the entire world. To limit the meaning of the statement to a subgroup of people, those among you who believe, is to read in a theology not supported by the Greek, and I am reformed. To put it simply, the gospel is for everyone. Here at First Free, I know we talk about how heaven is big. Heaven is very, very big. God's love is so large and it's so unexplainable that he died and he rose again and he loved even those who would never love him back. Knowing the world would reject him. He came on a mission to save the world. He came to save you because he wants you and he knows you and he loves you. I know every part of myself and I don't always want myself. I know every part of myself and I don't always love myself, but God still does unconditionally. You are precious and valuable and jealously longed for by the God of all creation. And now for those who already believe, for those who would call themselves believers, I need all eyes and ears here, okay? Here's where I might upset some people and I'm okay with that if it brings us closer to love because Christ died for those people. I'm not gonna name a single person or type of person or group of people. And it may be different from person to person in here, but someone just popped into your head. And whatever division that each of us just made in our own mind of who is too far from God, the people who are too far gone, whoever is in your mind right now that is not from God, God died for them. Christ gave himself for them because Christ loves those people more than we could ever comprehend. God gave himself even for those that do not look like us or talk like us or dress like us or vote like us or think like us or worship like us. Just like Nicodemus, Jesus is telling us that his gospel is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. 
if you've never heard it said like this, the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. The gospel didn't make it 2,000 years to get to St. Louis, Missouri, and then die here. The gospel came to you so you can give it to someone else. And if you are a believer, you can probably name the one person in your life who is instrumental in your faith. You can probably name the one person who brought you to that moment, the moment I had, where you realized, oh wow, God really loves me. And each of us have someone like that because that's how the gospel works. It's in the DNA of this whole thing that he is chasing after those people and that we get to share it. We love those who are far from God because we were once far from God. Out of God's love, he didn't tell us, go and sin no more and I will not condemn you. He tells us, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Those are radically different. If you're a believer, you are now the 99 and Jesus is chasing after the one. The primary goal of your life, your purpose, now as a believer, is to show them how much your God loves them. That he is chasing after them. This is the message he had for the world. So it's the message that we now have for the world. And what would happen if we lived like it were true? As if the gospel really were that simple, that you put your faith in Christ and then you are saved. At my church, we often tell our students that they can belong before they believe. And I love that verbiage. It's this idea that we tell our students, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, even if, you're, if you don't believe all the Jesus stuff yet, that's great. We are so glad you're here. And you can invite your friends. You can invite the people you care about. And no matter what, they are going to be welcome here. And so the question, I think for every church, a question we ask ourselves a lot is, do you want every kind of person at your church? Do you want every kind of person? Because that has consequences. Do you sincerely want every kind of person to feel safe and welcome and known here? Jesus says 22 times in the New Testament to follow him. Just like the disciples were, we are so good at making it so much harder than it needs to be. Those who are far from God often reject church way before they ever reject Jesus. And so what would it look like if we lived like this were true? That you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you're saved. What if it really were that simple? What if you could put your faith in Jesus before you fully understand what he did? What if you could put your faith in Jesus before you fully understand who he is? What if you could put your faith in Jesus before you have all the questions figured out? What if anyone, no matter where they are, who they are, no matter where they've been or what they've done or what they are doing, what if we could just pick up our cross and follow? What if it were that simple? In a moment, we're gonna hear a song that many of you have heard before. I'd ask that you pay attention to the lyrics as you sing them. and Maybe you just need to listen and let these words wash over you. Just hear them for the first time because you need to hear them. 
and our friends need to hear them, and our families need to hear them, that when we were dead in our sin, his love made a way, that he can make us new, and he can give us a new and eternal life. No fine print, no catch, our debt has been paid. And so friends, this is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life.